Hi, and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the jet fuel to my space plane. Jordan Crook. Yes. Was that was that Hot. enthusiastic enough? Am I the perfect metaphor for jet fuel? Or is jet fuel the perfect metaphor for me based on think, that energy? I think so, because you're probably going to be running out of energy pretty quickly. So that the whole thing is it burns really fast and hot and then it's gone. Yeah. It's like after it's like a sugar rush, essentially. Yeah. Which yeah. people have called me. That was my nickname in high school, Sugar Rush. Yeah, or Sugary J. Sugary J. <laughs> yeah, you knew me back in high school. Yeah, that's right. Feels like it. Damn. <laughs> well, you're here on Found. This is TechCrunch's podcast that's all about the stories behind the startups. We talk to founders every week, and we got, a, I was going to say very special, but they're all special founders. They're, yeah. all, <laughs> they're all wonderful, special snowflakes. But uh, this week, <laughs> we've got Sassy Duggleby from Venus Aerospace, and is building the first commercial, intended to be commercial once it comes out, space plane that can fly at hypersonic speeds. It actually gets up like basically to the very edge of space, just below space. That little blue line, right? You don't like when I call it the thin blue line because it has... It has other connotations. Let's connotations, say. right. But like, <laughs> that not that a thing that they've called it in the past? Sure, yeah, the yeah. space yeah. people, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. Sassy's company is going to provide the ability to fly from New York to, let's say, Tokyo in an hour, which is, whoa, whoa exactly, exactly. Changes everything. Yeah. Basically, any kind of like international destination. The one caveat that we did find out on the call is that it kind of has to be like a continent to continent hop for it to work effectively because the plane needs to get up there and needs to skim She the left atmosphere. room. Yeah. Right? To go like... Do a loop de loop kind of, kind like of do a maybe not all the way around the earth, Alaska, but like, and then back go down. up to the pole, yeah, and then swing back down New York to L.A. Yes, that could still happen. I mean, the point is, but it's exci- it finally feels like the future. Yes, it has not felt like the future in a long time. Ever since I expected it to feel mm-hmm. like the future, it hasn't. I figured we'd be and then flying. We talked to her, and everything changed at this speed by now, and we haven't been long time ago long time ago but it's a really hard problem sassy talks a bit about why and about why other companies she's worked for before haven't necessarily solved this problem and it's a highlight list of aerospace companies her and her co-founder who is also her husband have worked for a ton of aerospace companies and bring their combined experience to this very unique problem but a problem we all feel well any of us who do any kind of long-haul travel which is probably a lot of people listening to this podcast but Let's go ahead and let Sassy explain Venus Aerospace. Hi, Sassy. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very excited. I'm very excited. Jordan knows when we do the aerospace ones, I get extra excited. (laughs) Yep. And I'm always like, so when are the aliens coming? And he's like, that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) But yeah, very exciting to have you here to talk about Venus. Do you want to give our listeners just a quick summary of what Venus is all about? Absolutely. So we are building a space plane capable of one hour global travel. The goal is to be able to take off from an airport with normal jet engines, get up to altitude away from city center where you'll turn on a rocket engine booster and you actually boost to the edge of the atmosphere about 170,000 feet. The sky will be black. It'll go from blue to black. You'll be able to see the stars, see the curvature of the earth, and then you'll become a glider. And so you glide at about Mach 9 across the world, coming down on the other side of the world, pop your jet engines back on, enter the landing pattern and land at an airport. Goal is to do like 
Los Angeles to Tokyo in one hour, you know, Houston oh. to London in one hour. Yeah. World changing. Oh, man. Yeah. See, Jordan? Yeah, no. Now you care. Yeah, no, no. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I cared before. Anyone we have on with a name like Sassy, I'm ready to go. But yeah, I, I named myself when I was little. And so it, it stuck. I've tried to get rid of it a bunch of times and it. I've given up <laughs> at this point. I've been with it. I love it. I mean, I've been talking for forever. Like I've been writing about startups for more than a decade now. And like every time someone comes to me, I'm just like, why aren't you solving for teleportation? I realize that that's a silly thing to say because it can't be solved for. But like every time I'm in an airport, every time I have to go on a road trip, I'm just like, this is L.A. traffic. I mean, I realize this doesn't solve L.A. traffic, but like time is our most precious commodity. Right. So like absolutely anything that like actually truly saves time, especially when the experience of doing those things is so horrendous. Right. Yeah. There are rarely great road trips. Like if you're doing the scenic view for a couple hours, that's one thing. But like. 13 hours, you know, down the East Coast on 95 is not pleasant. Oh, it's miserable. And the I love visiting Israel and Europe and all the places we've traveled. But when I think about getting there, my time on the plane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and and that's our like, that's really our vision as a company. Like, how does the world change if you can fly across the globe and you can be home for dinner? Yeah. And then even at our company, we want you home for dinner. It's it's twofold. But so do people become like, like, is there any, this is going to sound <laughs> I so can't wait. This is so like the sci-fi nerd in me, but like people like have right. jet lag and stuff. Like, are there like health effects that we would need to worry about of like doing that on a regular basis? Like my dad is a traveler. He goes to Asia like eight months out of the he year. He must be so like, like, always like on planes, mile, always platinum, platinum, platinum plus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like at the very top, like they come in, like the CEO of American Airlines is like, Mr. Crook, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> but like, it, but it would totally change his life. But then would he like be aging faster? Again, I'm like I don't think leaning so. into I mean, my sci-fi roots. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's probably worse for him to be on a plane for like, right. yeah, sitting for 15 hours once those, a week. I mean, right? I had a friend who was a pilot and he has major, major issues. He did global flights his whole life and now has like major neuropathy in his feet because he spent so much time sitting. So yeah. If you don't have yeah. to sit for 13 hours and you can get there in one hour, what does that do? Oh. You know, if you can get an ambassador overseas quickly, you get SEAL Team 6 overseas quickly, you can have that factory that's down, you get a part there quickly. You can literally go face to face, have a meeting and still be back home. Yeah. So I, I th- it feels like time travel it a little bit. Like, like could travel. you alter yeah. the timeline? I mean, you know, in, like in some ways you are nice going back in time, one. depending on which way you travel, right? Right. And so, yeah. and it would alter the time, like in the same way that international jet travel in general has already done that, right? Like we saw the globalization was a result of like, oh, well, now it's possible. Like you can get these places. You don't have to hop on a steamer right. and spend months, you know, crossing the Atlantic Ocean or whatever. Like it changed everything from how we live day to day to like how business is done and so doing this would change that all it would be another step change right like do you think about those impacts or does that like something that comes oh, no, up it's a lot? every time that society as a whole has increased our transportation speed so if we went from you know riding horses and that's the only distance you could get to to trains to automobiles to planes to cross oceanic planes I mean, it has absolutely increased both peace and prosperity as Mm -hmm. a globe. Economic impact is incredible when you get a world more connected. Even like think about it from a war. Like if you have good friends that lived in your city, I mean, used to that like cities clashed, right? Back in the, you know, thousands. And all of a sudden it's like, I mean, we're not clashing with our local cities anymore. Yes. And so the city states, there's no city states in North America that go to war with one. (laughs) Exactly. For instance, right? Yeah. We're always really kind. It's not Athens and Sparta though anymore. We're not necessarily kind. 
no, it's not. But, We're yeah. not sending in the 300. <laughs> yeah. We're just battling on Twitter, <laughs> exactly. which this would not change, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Even though there have been like insane gains, right? Like economically and in terms of prosperity and peace and all of those things from like increasing our speed of travel. It also feels like the faster the world goes, the less mental well-being we have. And I obviously have like a short time frame to measure that on, right? I have like my 30 plus years and who knows, like, you know, maybe people were just as mentally up in the past i don't know it's the, there's the rule where like you think if as you have more time available to you you will use more of it for wellness and like personal reflection or whatever but that has historically proven not to be the case right every time we get an increase right. in bandwidth for capacity for internet or whatever else we like use it to cram in more work but sassy you mentioned like or like more bad things or more bad things right but you mentioned like internally at the company you have this like and the company is home for dinner. So like, I feel like that kind of touches on it. It sounds like you have internal values along work-life balance or mental health, well-being or something. Oh, like absolutely. That. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think I was, well, I was the oldest female engineer at Virgin Orbit prior to starting Venus. Right. And one of the questions, like I really looked around the room is like, why at 38 years old, are there no females older than me? Like mm. what, what is happening mm. in this industry that, and there are a lot of 25 year old engineers And then by the time they got to late thirties, forties, like they were gone. And so, I mean, that was really impactful on me of like, we have to start a company that, you know, I don't want to say work-life balance because that's, that's such a vague thing to strive for, but. Especially in the age of severance. Right. Apple TV show. (laughs) Get out of here. I haven't seen that. So I can't, I can't speak to that one, but. That's okay. Don't get involved. You know, but, but for us, I mean, so I'm a mom and I'm open about that and we're on a 10 year journey. And if we spend a hundred hours at work, like I will literally miss my kid's childhood and I never get that back. Yeah. And so we have just said as a company, like we are taking a stand on some key initiatives, one being like, you know, enjoy the ride together and one being get back home or home for dinner, such that we think you're more creative. If you're sleeping, if you're rested, if you're a healthy and whole human, mm-hmm. I actually believe you're more creative. You can solve hard problems. And we have a thousand hard problems to solve. Yeah. And so we're trying to really enforce that within our organization of yes, we're solving hard things. Yes, there are impacts on defense and, and world culture and things happening there. But in terms of what we're doing at a company, we have to be able to find balance. That's just really important to well, me as, as a wife and a mom and as a leader that our organization, that we model that and that we say, no, like, hey, go home. Mm. There's work to do tomorrow and we'll continue on that. And so far it's it's It makes great. a lot of sense that like form and function are so closely tied together with that because like ultimately, I mean, your product is like a very complex airplane rocket, yeah. right? It's a bunch of things, yeah. but it's like ultimately valuing time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like to the end consumer, it's like saying like, here is the value of your time. Right. Absolutely. And for the company to treat that as a core to value. Yeah. Right. Like only makes sense. Right. Because then otherwise you're not. It was kind of like what Brie was saying. Right. Like you're not proving out your data almost yeah. in a way. Right. Like or your hypothesis. Well, that's what so. that's kind of what I was thinking of. So Sassy, for context, we recorded this anniversary episode the other day and we had on Brie Code, who is another founder who joined us previously. And she was talking about essentially dog fooding, but like their product and like how it ended up becoming everything they wanted to do in like a much shorter span, right? But to hear you talking about that and to think about you're not alone in this market, like it's a market where other people are trying to do hypersonic or supersonic flight. But a lot of them, I tend to get vibes of like old school Silicon Valley, like 
go, 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 foot on the gas the entire time. And in the context of that conversation, other conversation we've had with founders is like, if you have that internally, then it is reflected in the product and the impact you have on the world. So it's a little alarming to me in this particular industry, right? But it sounds like, like you said, giving all that stuff means that you have time for reflection, you have time for like intelligent thought and like you're not approaching it in a way that is perhaps reckless or overeager, I suppose. Absolutely. And, you know, I think when you look at the aerospace industry as a whole, it actually was born out of war, right? It came out of World War One and then World War Two, and then the space race. It has continuously been kind of a give all for your country because there is the world at stake. And some of that culture, I think, has just perpetuated continuously because that's how it was born. We just really feel like there has to be a way to do it differently. And that's not to say it's not important and we're not solving our problems, but, you know, we're trying to take a methodical approach to it. In some ways, it is great because we are able to attract talent that has worked 100-hour work weeks and has Friday night at 11 p.m. meetings that have said, you know, enough, I need to find something different. This is, this can't be sustainable. And and thankfully- We still have a lot to give. To your point, it's like normally- they had nowhere to go. And they were like, I still have tons of value, but like, I don't fit anymore with this industry and the values that they have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and thankfully, um, our investors are behind us on that. When we have said, this is the way we want to build this company, there has not been any pushback. In fact, we've actually had some, some of our lead investors have sent other CEOs to me to talk about like how we're doing values and how we're building culture and how we're really thinking about it. Cause you know, it's, it's not the norm in the startup world. And I don't know if it's because we're a little older. I'm not sure what it is, but. That reminds me. So I had a question that I was going to ask way earlier, but I think it fits perfectly with this was, is like you and your co-founder, Andrew, Uh both came from Virgin, right? And is it Virgin Virgin Orbit Orbit or Virgin Virgin Orbit? Right. But Virgin Galactic on the other side, sister company, I suppose, I don't know how they're treated internally, but like is also looking at point to point, right? Like that's one of the areas they want to explore. Like right now they're focused on tourism, but I was going to ask like, why not continue with them or try to get like an internal-ish transfer or go do it over there versus deciding to start your own. But now I'm I'm getting a, the idea that maybe it's part of what you're talking about right now. And But like, yeah, I'd yeah. love to hear so, more. So, some about, of it's cultural, of it. but some of it is just the technology jump. So we're taking mm-hmm. advantages of some changes in technology. And, you know, Virgin Orbit's, Virgin Orbit's probably seven or 10, 10 years down the road. And, yeah. and Virgin yeah, yeah, Galactic, yeah. I can't remember its start date, but they're 15 years. Because Orbit was a spin-up. Yeah, so, so Virgin, like Virgin Galactic yeah. was actually where Andrew was hired to to be part of this Launcher One side team that was looking at how do you launch a rocket off the wing of an airplane. And they spun yeah. that out into Virgin Orbit. After we deployed to Japan, we came back, Andrew's in the Navy Reserves, and I ended up joining uh-huh. Virgin Orbit also. And so Virgin Orbit is looking at small satellite launch, responsive launch from the wing of an airplane. You can launch from anywhere. And so what we were working on is very, very different than what we're doing here at Venus. Yeah. And it's major technology differences. You know, Virgin Galactic has a plane already. They've got spaceship. They've got all the things. They've got a system and process down. And we're starting from a blank slate using technology that is very different than what Virgin was using. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Sure. And just like classic Jordan, I'm just going to jump off topic. Um, <laughs> So one of the things that I keep thinking about is like the end state of this. And I realize we're like at early steps in the journey, right. but I'm curious as the founder and CEO here, how you think about steps versus what's right in front of you. Cause like a lot of founders have different tactics around this. Like we are focused on today yeah. and today, today, today. Right. Mm-hmm. And then others are like, if I'm not thinking about what it looks like in five years, then I'm not going to do today. Right. And they're bunch who'd kind of do something in the middle. And so when you think about like, 
what are flight attendants like? And do we have to hire flight attendants? And like, you know, what kind of airports do we have to partner with? And like, there's so many steps that are way out there, right? How do you balance thinking about what it looks like in the future versus like the mountain of things that you have to do today? It's a, it's a delicate, you know, delicate line. If we're not already thinking about our space and our expansion and where we move to, then we're going to be way behind the eight ball. And if we're not, we're already just starting discussions with the FAA because we know that it's going to be a five-year approval process to get our plane qualified and get through FAA process. So there's things we're thinking about now that are far down the line, but really we take a risk-based approach. It's like, what are the major risks that we have within our vehicle and how do we buy Mm. down those risks? So kind of everything we do as an engineering organization is all about risk reduction. You know, it's like, all right, the propulsion system is one of the major risks or avionics. It's a really long pull to build the avionics of a vehicle. We stack up all the things that we need to do. And then we actually look at it as, okay, like we have plan A, but if plan A goes completely wrong, what's our option? Mm. We need a plan B. So we've got multiple paths that we're kind of pushing forward on right now because we don't know exactly which one's going to work. Right. And so we're, we're still early. And you don't want to save implementing plan B until the time that plan A doesn't work, right? So you're, right. You're, essentially you're saying like, we've got both teams working on plan A and plan B. Three parallel streams. Yeah, yeah. like we'll marry Yeah, and we it, it's actually a little bit of the Manhattan Project from back in the day. They had Fat Man and Little Boy, which were two right. totally different types of systems because they didn't know which one was going to work. And so they had two development paths and we are still very early. I mean, we just raised our series A, you know, our seed round was to prove out. We had three premises that we said, we believe these three things are true. And if they're true, they actually can integrate to make a space plane finally happen. I mean, as society, we've been dreaming about space planes or hypersonic jets forever. 50 years ago, we had a man on the moon and what have we really done since then? We made them bigger. Not really. No, we made them smaller. SpaceX is sending folks regularly. (laughs) I think, Growing up, we all figured there'd be hotels in space. And, you know, yes. I don't know. I oh, watched the sure. Jetsons growing up and I thought Same. by the time like I was an adult, I would be living in the Jetsons world. And like, we're not even close to that. Yeah. 2020 was such a bummer, right? Because it hit and we were like, okay, <laughs> ready for all the stuff we now that I said. Yeah. And-, and all that happened was like, oh, Trump's not going to be president anymore. <laughs> like, oh, that's like, okay. Something. But like, that's not what I had. In- yeah. It's a big something. But like, <sighs> I was expecting to be in a flying car at this right. point. Yeah. So. yeah, you mentioned your Series A. So that was Prime Movers Lab. When this airs, I think it was... I think we put a press release about it early April. We closed yeah, yeah, the round yeah, at the right. end of March and then yeah, cool. put the PR out early April. So then I spoke to Dick and Sloss when they announced their most recent fund and, you know, very interesting fund and the plug. Go read that article that I wrote. <laughs> Partly because I don't remember what I said, but like... Partly because I do remember it was a super interesting conversation with him and like very science-minded sort of thesis. That must help because you're talking about a lot of stuff where you're like, oh, this is going to take a long time, right? It doesn't seem like, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you can be in a position where you're like, well, we have this revenue opportunity early and then this one mid-state ramping up to our final goal, right? Well, we actually do have some... So on our development path is a drone so that we can learn Mm. and not have humans on board and get a lot of time under flight. And so the Department of Defense is very interested in a Mach 9 reusable drone. So we are working on government pathways to much, much earlier revenue than the full-scale space plane. And would that be very similar? Like just it would go up and then it would glide and then it would... Yeah, absolutely. Basically flight similar? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Can, yeah. You know, you can put ISR on it or, you know, there's different uh, cameras, different things on it for, or even if you need to drop something to SEAL Team 6 in the middle of nowhere. 
you know, right. you could get something there in 45 minutes anywhere in the world kind of wow. thing. So is that a big help when you're talking to investors? Is like you have all this DOD interest and like the defense opportunities are obvious. Oh, absolutely. It's risk right. reduction. I mean, non-dilutive capital yeah. is, is the biggest win ever. So yeah. having the government interest just helps us continue to buy down more risk. Yeah. So talking about, you know, I'll be honest, our fundraising, it took a while to figure out who was okay with deep tech or hard tech, however you want to phrase it. You know, we're not mm-hmm. that enterprise SaaS software company that you're going to put a bunch of programs programmers in a room and, you know, we poop out a unicorn, um, you know. <laughs> oh, I yeah, love that. So it's that is exactly how most of them yeah. think about it, I think. <laughs> yeah. So it took a while to find the right investors that are okay with longer timelines, hardware heavy. And Prime Movers Lab, I feel like has been like that ideal partner. You know, they mm-hmm. want to fund breakthrough scientific startups that are deeply technical. My co-founder, Andrew, is a PhD rocket scientist and an expert in fluid systems and materials. Materials and you know, so they dug into our technology. I mean, we spent hours on the phone and deep technical dives on what our IP is and how it works. Right. It's fascinating. There are investors that I think invest, you know, with like, hey, yes, no, maybe, you know, kind of a gut feel. And Prime Movers Lab, mm-hmm. I mean, they brought in astronauts, they brought in world experts on this technology to make sure we really had something. Yeah, I think that is what struck me about them is they do do their homework and they just have a vast network of people to help that. And it's not like a thing where it's like, well, you know, I've heard of like a lot of people with theses around hard science problems are very interested in it, maybe personally, but like Mm -hmm. still make, like you said, those gut calls or whatever, as opposed to like actually proving it out. I mean, that's where a lot of the like bad stories come from, right? It's people who took a bath on something like that. And then it kind of like poisoned that area for a while for other investors, which is a shame, right? But like, it's good to hear that they do that much diligence. And then it must be great for you to be able to go out and say like, Prime Movers Lab is in and then other people are like, great, we know they do the work will come in too. Or has that been your experience? Well, and to have like the advisement too, right? Like the network effect. I feel like a lot of firms also, whether they're in hard sciences or not, are like, here's this online portal that we have for you. This is going to yeah, no, help they, you with everything that you need to learn. Yeah, you know? they provide great portfolio support. I mean, they've got their vice president of engineering is a PhD aerospace engineer that spent years in the industry. And at Blue Origin, we have like, they have a hypersonics expert that was at Langley or Lawrence Livermore. I mean, those are, uh-huh. we have monthly calls with them. And then they have a marketing expert. Like they have a portfolio support team that they're like, Hey, we're going to come alongside you and help you guys. They're just great people. So it's been a really great partnership with them. Wow. Well, I didn't even intend for this to become an advertisement <laughs> for them, but I think they'll appreciate it. But like, I think you did. No, I didn't. What do I, I'm not getting anything on the back. He's super <laughs> advertorial. I don't get anything out of it either, but they're a great partner. We've been really happy with all of the investor partners that we have. Yeah. No, it sounds like true value add. Like it's funny you're talking about those things and then we're thinking about the value add <laughs> with quotation marks that most portfolios offer. And it's like, if you call me, like I'll answer and give you a gut check. Like that's very Maybe different. I'll answer. I might <laughs> yeah. also text you randomly with like a suggestion that is completely off base. So. You know, but there's also Sometimes I can say there's also investors that just taking their money and like letting us just go build. Like if yeah. everybody was like prime movers on our portfolio, like I wouldn't be able to get any work done. Too much. You know, so right. thankfully they're our lead and we have that relationship. But then we have other folks that are very willing to just put in money and then provide help when they need it, network or support yeah. or questions. Well, how was that part for you like when you were getting started? Because I assume it was new to you and to Andrew, that part of things. So where did you go for guidance or was it difficult? I actually found a group of women called Seneca Advanced and they were raising a VC fund. I happened to hop on a blog called Alpha. I don't know if you've heard. 
heard of it. Um, it's for women in tech. And it was like a random coincidence and ended up, they had a class on Seneca Advanced was about trying to get a cohort of women founders that wanted to raise venture capital and do kind of a venture capital training course. Oh, cool. And there was, they didn't take equity. They didn't think anything. It was just trying to get more venture capital into the hands of female founders. And so I went through that course and learn because I knew nothing. I mean, well, I had an MBA. Mm. I did a bunch of entrepreneurship classes. I worked at startups. So they helped like all about cold networking and how do you do a pitch and how do you an email intro and what's your pitch deck look like? And so they were really helpful in starting that process. And then we had some friends, a guy that also was in the VC world. And so he kind of was our first believer. Like once we pitched to him and showed him the idea, he also helped us network out. And at the end of the day, I think everybody that came in on our seed round were from intros from this person, but it took a while. I mean, it took six, we quit our jobs in June, 2020. It was the Mm -hmm. day, you know, middle of COVID. Like we, we got Virgin Orbit to the first demo launch. And then as soon as, as soon as that was finished, we stopped and said, all right, it's time to go launch Venus. And then it took about six months for us to close the round. And I think we tracked 180 conversations. Wow. It just was, you know, no, 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 no. And it was like, no, we know we've got a great idea. We know we've got something here. We just have to find the right person. And thankfully the Seneca training, Janice Frazier and Melissa Moore were the two women that were leading that. Like, they're like, just remember every no, you're closer to a yes. And so I took that as a like, all right, we got a no, let's keep going. You just need one. Yes. That's a great mindset to get into. The opposite is they're devastating, yeah. right? As, as they accrue like that, right? Whereas it's like, well, no, these are, you're climbing up the nose, right? You're climbing up the nose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes point. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And it's like getting to those nose quickly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Stuffing it out and not being on the hook with a bunch of like maybes or a bunch of like, hmm, we'll think about it. And like using up all of your energy yeah. on that is where it gets really bad. Yeah. And for this specific Topic and subject matter. Maybe this is uncharitable to the VC community, but I feel like there's a lot of folks (laughs) who could just be like, this is really cool. I really want to hear about this. I'm going to have them in and just kind of talk about it because I find it very interesting, but like I'm never going to invest in it. Or be like, I don't know enough about this and it is interesting and I want to learn about it. But then like, fact finding, I'm going to slow this down to a snail's pace because like I have to go and figure all this stuff out because it's not an enterprise unicorn poop, yeah. <laughs> you know, that I like. Well, and what was fascinating, know. you know, we once we got the seed round closed and did an announcement, we had all sorts of incoming, like we would invest it, we would invest it, we would invest it. And there were even folks mm. that I talked to or got intro to <laughs> that came back. They're like, well, we, this is right up our alley. We would invest it. And I was like, yeah, I sent you an email, you know, or I got an intro to you on in September and you never responded. <laughs> Well, I'm sure VCs are not only attracted to the viability of the business and the fact that it's like hard tech, deep tech, whatever we want to call it, but then also like as users, I think that it's like just screams VC, right? Like, oh, I was in Tokyo. I took the kids to Tokyo for dinner. Like, you know, it's just a casual (laughs) thing. I'm sure they would use it for business too, but there's like, which kind of brings me to something again, like I just like to focus on this end state. What are you thinking? Are you even remotely even close to price? And I'm sure you wouldn't tell me what it is, but like maybe you could help me understand in the based on yeah. the current no, our, market our, what it costs to do these things, what it was. Sure. Like. like our current model is to try to aim for a first class price ticket. So if if you were paying a first class price to fly San Francisco to Tokyo and spend 13 hours on a plane, we would like to, you know, which I think is fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. 
Mm-hmm. We're trying to aim for that price range. You know, there's still a, a bunch of things out there. So if at the end of the day, it's it's more well, like the folks we talk to are like, you know, if I'm already paying that same exact price to go 13 hours, I would pay more to go there in an hour. Like what's what's right. your time worth, especially the, you know, executives that do that type of travel. Right. C-suite folks. But like also the part that I just am realizing now is like there's actually a lot of cost savings on your side. I mean, not on like all of the big giant stuff, but like you pay flight attendants for those 13 hours and you have to pay two sets of them at least, right? Because they can only work a certain Mm -hmm. amount of time and the pilots and you have to pay for all of the in-flight entertainment systems because people need to be entertained for 13 hours and however much booze it takes to (laughs) keep people calm for 13 (laughs) hours on for 400 people or whatever, right? So like, the small things you're actually cutting a lot of costs on because the actual yeah, like you probably don't need lay flats, your cabin, labor everything. and amenities. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Are like completely as much easier. So you can still have like a Lux experience, but it only has to be Lux for an hour, right. which seems like it would be a lot cheaper than Lux for 13 yeah. hours. And then what about your costs when you get to the actual planes themselves? Is the bulk of your cost is in that initial the R&D. Absolutely. And then once you get there, are you comparable on like a regular yes. commercial jet or yeah. something? Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to dig into what we think our pricing at the plane yeah, yeah, will yeah. be, but yeah, it don't. should be very, yeah. very comparable. And most rocket companies, most of the cost is actually all in the upfront development. And then the production yeah. is actually not that much comparably. Yeah. What about fuel? I know fuel yeah, is a so big our, deal for rocket companies and airlines. Our fuel will be completely green. That's one of our main premises. Oh, it's nice. like we will not have at least the rocket fuel. Our goal by the time we get there is to hope that jet engine fuel has moved in ways where there's green jet engine options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is trending it is that trending way. That way. Too, so so. Our, our hope is that yeah. we'll be completely green from a fuel standpoint, but our rocket engine fuel will absolutely be green. That's, That's one cool. of our premises. We will not be throwing high levels of carbon into the upper levels of the atmosphere. Yeah. That's good. That's a good, good. one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Daryl and I are like, wow. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we talk about requirements, we call it level one requirements. And that is one of our yeah. level yeah. one requirements for the space plane development is that yeah. it has to be green fuel. So just on that, another, I guess, technical or business model side question is like, we've spoken to, you know, Boom a few yeah. times like Shoal over there and they're doing the supersonic thing. What do you think? Are they both viable? Is there a world in which both exist and are viable at the same time? Or is one clearly better? Like, obviously you've chosen the hypersonic. Is hypersonic clearly better than supersonic for reasons? I think there's room for both. Blake's also Mm. in the Prime Movers Lab portfolio and we're, you know, we've chatted with him quite a bit and we're cheering them on. But we can't take a supersonic flight from Dallas to New York. Like that is too short for Venus. Like Venus actually needs like the 4,000 miles. Like we need to get up, get to speed and come back down. And so if I wanted to fly quickly on a global flight, I would want to take a Venus flight. If I wanted to fly on an intercontinental, then Mm -hmm. a supersonic Mm -hmm. flight would be perfect. What if you went up and went all the way around and then... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just wondering how to change that New York to San Francisco vibe that I have all the time. Because that... I swear I'd rather be on a plane for 13 hours going somewhere amazing than spend six hours going to San Francisco (laughs) one more time in my life. Yeah. Not to shit on San Francisco. And we've been looking at like, could you take off and like go north and then do a big curve and come back down? Like if you took off from New York and then came down in San Francisco, it would still be shorter. shorter. Yeah. So for sure, as as we later, you know, get down development path. That is my least favorite flight. I'll tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I also don't like that one. It really feels like you don't have enough time. You don't have enough time to. yeah, Yeah, exactly. 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 It was like I a three, three hour but, 50 from Dallas yeah. to New York as well that I hated. But the 
New York, San Francisco is the one that really. Actually, speaking of Texas, you were originally <laughs> in California, right? And then you moved. Yeah. That, am I correct. getting that right? Yeah. To Houston. Where are you in Texas? So we're in Houston. We are actually located at Ellington Field, which is the Houston spaceport. It's the only oh, nice. urban spaceport in America, which is why we moved here. So oh, great, when we okay. were working at Virgin Orbit, I was working in Long Beach and Andrew ended up being head of launch operations for Virgin and all the launch ops were out in Mojave. And so I was pretty much a single mom for almost two years because he was out in Mojave mm-hmm. all the time. And we just said, this is not sustainable. So when we started Venus, we knew we originally started it in California and then started really looking. And it was again, the home for dinner vision. It's like, we knew that we didn't want to move to Mojave. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great companies out there, but there's not a monster amount of talent. And so there was even a reason that, you know, Virgin Orbit started in Mojave and then moved their headquarters to Long Beach. Yeah. So we actually started looking all over the U.S. as where do we relocate? And I am from Texas originally. I'm actually a seventh generation Texan. So, you know, Texas is home. Oh, wow. wow. Wait, yeah. where? In I Houston grew up in, too? No, I grew up in or... Me? I, I did too. Really? I went to junior high and high school in Plano. Well, my mom lived in Addison and my dad lived in Plano. I graduated from Plano Senior High. Prestonwood. Whoa, look at that. (laughs) But so when we realized we needed a place, we actually started looking at Austin, like all good tech companies Mm -hmm. do. And we started, Mm -hmm. Andrew and I, when we first got married, lived in Austin. He was going to University of Texas and I was working for National Instruments there as an engineer. After we talked, like we looked at Austin, I'm like, well, Austin airport's not really the best spot. Like we can't do what we really need to do there. Where could we go? And someone actually said, if you talked to Houston, if you looked at the Houston spaceport, I'll be honest, my first reaction was like, Houston, bleh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, totally. Houston's like the worst of the big but cities. That was my like, that was my perception. I was always just as a perception. Like growing up in yeah, Dallas, yeah. I was like, Houston's like the armpit of Texas. Like, I don't want to move to Houston, but because <laughs> like Dallas has like the Lux shopping, and then Austin's the weird, cool one. San Antonio's the tourist spot, yeah. and then Houston's just like. You kind of always think it's big oil. What are we doing here? But I'll be honest. So we flew out and met with the Spaceport Houston team. And we're like, all right, we need a place to fire rocket engines, to fly drones, to fly planes. And they were like, you can do it all here. And we said, really? And they're like, yeah. Like, you know, they pointed across the runway. and like, right there, the rocket engine testing is happening. Because they have a spaceport license, that's all legal. And like drones fly in and out of Ellington all the time with the Texas Air National Guard and the Air Force. And so once we really started looking at it, we're like, you know what? We If we're at Houston, like it really fits our home for dinner vision. Because you could Mm -hmm. literally be testing a rocket engine, which we're going to be doing. We have a test trailer. We'll pull it out. We'll test the rocket engine, you know, here in the middle of the city and be able to drive home and be at our kids swim meet. And so, oh, yeah, awesome. so wow. we, we moved to Houston and I'll be honest, I like, I really like Houston. Wow. Houston has really yummy Houston, food. Houston, it's the fourth, Delicious it's actually the food. most diverse city in the United States, which no one knows. It has, and it's like the third no, no, largest, the fourth largest, right? populous, populous wise. wise. And it has okay. incredible food and incredible culture. Such good food. And like for us, in space flight or i mean we're not quite going to space but it's the home of johnson space center we've got yeah. astronauts totally it's called houston for a yeah. reason you know what i mean that's my only association with yeah. houston as and a houston and so like far yeah. north canadian yeah. i'm friends with multiple astronauts like on a first name basis now which is like blows my mind like such you know, a they come over and yeah. give, we give them tours we show them what we're up to and like i coached my daughter's soccer team and one of the other girls on our team her dad's in the astronaut corps and like we would have discussions wow. like they just live in this community, you know, and then like we yeah. were going on a walk in our neighborhood and started chatting with an older gentleman. And turns out he designed all the landing gear for the space shuttle. And he was like, oh, here's wow. my I thought you were going to say it was Buzz Aldrin. No. Or something. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, yeah. 
probably recognize him. So, so yeah, it's, it, it has been the perfect move for us. Lots of good talent, lots of folks that know aerospace, great culture. Yeah. That's really great. That's what I was going to ask about sort of like the recruiting or, but is the recruiting focused mostly on that kind of like aerospace engineer type or are you looking for other types of folks and tech yeah, folks and is it? easy to get them to come to Houston? You know, our organization right now is about one third remote and two thirds here. So if you are touching hardware, like if you're working on our engine test stand, like you have to be here, but like our right. propulsion design engineers, they're not here. They're working remotely. Oh, great. Yeah. I think we learned so much from COVID that you can get a lot of great work done. And so we've kind of said like, we'd rather hire the very best talent, no matter where they are. And you know, sometimes they fly in and we bring the entire company in once a quarter for kind of what we call Venus Week. Yeah, it hasn't been the cost of living is so much cheaper than Southern California where we were. Mm -hmm. If I told you the rent for our, our spot here, like, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And we're in a 50,000 square foot hangar. Wow. Yeah. You know? Well, it feels like pretty common sense. If you think about like any talent who's like, oh, I really want to build spaceships, right? This is what I want to do with my life. And then also we can live cheaply and I'll be home for dinner. Like those things have not been compatible. All available. In the, right? yeah, yeah. At once. Yeah. You can't tick all three of those boxes. Right. You, you're having to pick and choose. So it seems pretty common sense to me. Pretty yeah. obvious, like, okay, yeah, yeah this would be the, the right place for me to work. Yeah, and, we, and we've moved quite a few folks out here. And I'll be honest, they've all, everybody is super happy. The community, people are kind here. Mm. There's a good community yeah. feel. So it's it's yeah. been a win for us. Nice. Why did you call the company Venus? Yeah. Maybe that's like self-explanatory no. to Daryl, but it's not. No, too. it's, um. so Venus, it was twofold. Venus is the only female planet. All the other planets are male. And so one of our, again, as the oldest female engineer. I mean, that's just something we decided, right? Like yeah, that's not like a real, like there's no such thing as a male or female planet. The planet doesn't right? have a true gender, but Venus is a goddess. Mars got is it, got a it, god, okay, you know, in terms well, I'm of- back on track. Yeah, there you mm -hmm. go. So in the terms of the name. So you're uh, the female goddess. That's right. And, fe and she's the goddess of love. And so we mm -hmm. truly want to create a company that loves its employees well. And that might sound cheesy, but it's just trying to do it differently. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. reason. It's a good name too. Thanks. Like it seems yeah, like it would be it hard is. to get it, like, you know the domain and like no, the trademark. We went to trademark it and to buy the like domain name and our lawyer that was helping us, he's like, I cannot believe there's not a Venus Aerospace already out there. Right. There's Venus Razors. Yeah, it's but, hard like, to he, believe. He was shocked. Again, the female thing. Yeah. Everyone was like, Oh, I want all the boy names. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Stupid patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask, we talked about the investment thing and I'm curious for you, what was it like transitioning into this leadership role and then like running a whole company and being responsible for all these employees? Like we've talked a lot about your approach to culture and stuff. It sounds like you're very thoughtful about that, but like, were there any big learnings or challenges for you there? Oh, or? it's every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been the wildest adventure of my lifetime. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I would say that while the technology is hard, like, you know, managing people is harder. You know, you've yeah, got a, yeah. a lot of really intelligent, smart, quirky folks that our job is to like help create an environment that they can produce the best. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am learning. I've learned more in the last two years than I think I've learned in the previous 30, 40. Oh, yeah. Gosh, how old am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's continuous learning. And, and I'm very open. Like, thankfully, I've got a lot of great mentors around me. I've got a group of other women in aerospace founders that started a group that we chat with just about problems and, you know, everything from fundraising to compensation strategy, to culture building, to like, how do you fire someone? Mm. So we kind of have a group of peers that we can all 
chat about things. So that's been really helpful. And then I've, I'm not afraid to reach out to people that have done this before and say, help what pitfalls are coming because it's pretty standard. Yeah, There are things that happen when you're a three person company that as you scale to 20, it's like, okay, watch out. This is going to start happening. I try to be really intentional about finding people ahead of us in the journey to help say like, Hey, like there's going to be a major inflection when you go from 30 to 60 because of blah. And so know Mm -hmm. that it's coming. So thankfully I find people are really willing to help to say, yeah, I've been through this and it's hard. And let me give you some tips or advice, but you just have to ask. Yeah. But I think you're right. Like people are generally, especially if they know firsthand the pain that those things can cause or whatever, if you do them wrong. Right. And then it's like, most people want to help other people avoid that pain. Right. Right. So they will definitely be willing to extend a helping hand. I think it's funny. You mentioned when you're talking about some of the attributes of like the aerospace world and like who the people are who work in it. I was thinking of media because we have, I think we share it. They share a lot. People are, (laughs) people are quirky and different and perhaps spiky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it can be challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're about out of time here, Sassy, but I, it's been really great talking to you. I think that what you're trying to do is amazing and just it really needs to happen. And it's just, it's kind of like one of those things where you're just like, wow, how is it not? But what's the next big thing for Venus? What are you looking forward to? Milestone? Yeah. Miles, I guess. So we our rocket engine test trailer is literally finishing being built right now. And we should be like firing engines in the next month here at Houston Spaceport, which is so exciting. That's been the dream since we started the company, you know, a a year and a half ago. Um, So that's really exciting. And then just continuing to scale. I mean, we, with the close of our series a, it's like hiring, we're trying to really ramp up our hiring and bring in great talent and just keep moving and building. It's going to be a long journey, but it's so incredibly fun. Nice. All right. Yeah. And in no time at all, me and Jordan will be hopping on a one hour, one hour <laughs> flight, flight to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Or New York to SF. I really do look into the <laughs> Look into the, look I mean, into the I will pay. <laughs> All right. I will pay. Jordan, just because you asked, we'll get right on that. Oh, thank you. It's on you. the roadmap now. It's on oh, the I'm so roadmap. influential. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Hey, no problem. Thank you guys. Okay, Jordan, that was Sassy. That was Venus Aerospace. What do you think? I mean, a few things, a few quick things. So first and foremost, I have to like watch myself to get too excited for something like this. Because like I said, it does feel like the future. feels Uh very exciting. And it still is the future because it's not here yet. Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's the part that I have to be careful about, right? Because if I'm like, oh, I could go to Tokyo in an hour, then I'll get my hopes up for what there are many, many hurdles ahead right right? like it's a difficult problem of science and math and engineering to start with yeah like just as a base level and then there's partnerships and there's like the business side of it and there's the regulatory side of it so there's a lot still that needs to be accomplished obviously for venus but it's super exciting that someone's working on it that has the funding for it has a business around it the expertise for it all of that's really exciting Mm -hmm. point two sassy dougleby is like the most Harry Potter Hogwarts name I've ever heard. I it definitely does sound like now that you say that. It hadn't really occurred to me before, yeah. but that is a perfect Harry Potter character name. You're right. Character. 100%. Like, it shocks me that it doesn't exist as a Harry Potter character name. That is thing two. And thing three, I'll just say I really liked the fact that we didn't talk the whole time about science. We talked a little bit about the culture of the company and, like, being in Houston. And yeah, I really enjoyed that 
part of the conversation. Yeah, the abuse part was cool because, I mean, you had some firsthand knowledge and experience of that. For me, cities in Texas are just a series of words that have no other association (laughs) with them. I did think that that was a cool conversation and learning about like how the fact that there's so many aerospace people in and around there, not just like from Venus, obviously, but it's like a hub Mm -hmm. for that kind of expertise and that she has like neighbors and friends and, you know, kids, soccer team parents and stuff that are all like, oh yeah, like I can empathize with you as a human being because I understand a little bit about what you're working on and what you do at work, which I mean, like some people can't even say for their romantic partners right yeah or like parents so that's nice yeah it sounded like they moved there for a lot of practical reasons right moved the company there because it was basically unique in that they could get these facilities where they could do testing and development right there with no commute required in the middle of the city or whatever but then also it ended up being a great place to live right so that's cool and then we talked a lot about quality of life like much more than i was expecting to do i think Mm -hmm. the high-tech companies in particular i think tend to be we spend a lot of time just mired in the technical details i think it's my fault probably most of the time but sassy luckily wanted to talk a lot about building a company where you go home at the end of the day it was like it's like a core value. Of the home company. by dinner. Home by dinner, exactly. I suppose if you didn't go home at all, that would be, you'd really have to watch out for that kind of company. This is our home <laughs> and we're a family. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it sounded great. As somebody who's trying to effectively reduce business travel times, I feel like there's a lot of potentially negative impact. If you're just like, oh, you could just never stop working. You could be like working in New York for six hours and then fly an hour and then work in Tokyo for six hours and then fly like. Oh, I don't see it that way at all. I feel like that's the pessimist in you. That is the pessimist to me. I don't know. Every time we reduce. I'm sure people will treat it that way. Yeah. We can't get rid of workaholics as like a group, right? Maybe we can. I don't think we can. I think we, we us personally can't. Me and you can. <laughs> you and I can. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are the real problem solvers on this podcast, generally. <laughs> me, me and you are really good at disincentivizing people to work, I feel like. So we can do it if anybody can. <laughs> yeah go to crunch yeah but i mean i don't see it that way i get it like every time we've shortened the increase the speed at which we can get things done people have gotten more things done right. which makes a lot of sense but i also think this is a specific example where it's like what do they say hurry up and wait mm-hmm. like that's what business travel yeah, is in a lot true. of ways yeah. are you really productive on the plane probably not like how many hours of your life do you spend in discomfort and like surrounded by a bunch of people you don't want to be surrounded with all of these things so you can just like cut that part out of it yeah people might work more but they'll also not be spending what equates to like days and days and sometimes weeks and months and even years i'm sure Mm -hmm. of their lives just like in a freaking tube in the air yeah that's true i mean that that's a kind of net benefit like because when i think of travel i actually do find a lot of the weight parts that you're talking about i'm not i don't know this while I'm doing it. It's not a thing I have a sense of while it's happening. But one thing the pandemic has taught me is that when I'm spending a lot of time doing those things, it actually is a sort of decompression just because it's quite different than the usual pace, right? To be forced to be disconnected or like have inconvenient access to computers or whatever, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right in that it's like ideally that isn't also 
happening in a very uncomfortable place, like an airplane seat, right? <laughs> so, and for too long, yeah, 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 right? Exactly. I'm yeah. the first to say like, oh, I'm going to be on an airplane. And people are like, okay, well, we'll see you when you connect to the Wi-Fi. And I'm like, nope. Uh, nah. Like you'll, you'll hear from me when I land. Yeah, exactly. I'm airplane mode all the way. Yeah. Happy to be. You're like, sorry, this is 1976. There are no such things as in-flight Wi-Fi. <laughs> what do you mean in-flight <laughs> entertainment? I don't even, I don't even look at the movies. I just light I up just a cigarette. and stare. And <laughs> <laughs> chew on my steak yeah. in my suit no i appreciate the decompression time to be like you are truly away i always liked the new york city subways for that too and then they put a bunch of wi-fi in yeah. there and i was like now i'm like going in and out of coverage yeah. but also at the like four hour 12 minute mark on a long flight like, I'm like, this is plenty yeah. I'm ready to land now. Well, we'll be able to do it soon. And all you'll need is fifteen to $20,000 per trip. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what she said. I'm pretty sure. She said it was going to be the cost of a first class trip. Yeah, but a first. No, she said it was going to be. A true first class berth, like an international, not business. Birth. A first class. You're so fancy. To like New York to, that's what they cost. That's what they cost. They're up in the five digits or whatever. So six digits, oh, however many. Digits. I can't do math, but. 15 small, yeah. as they would say. But eventually, I mean, the hope is eventually that becomes more accessible for all, right? If it becomes popular enough and they do it enough and there's enough volume, then it totally could go down. The price could go down, right? Here's hoping. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Let's support. I'm going to, me and Sassy are going to go to up into space first. Oh, I already, or like near space. I already talked to Sassy after the call. I booked the first one. So. You booked it? Yeah. Oh, okay. You can have That's fine, two. actually. Enjoy. All right. Okay. <laughs> Always taking a backseat to white man. Whatever. <laughs> yep. I did it right here got on the podcast. I hope you folks enjoyed listening. <laughs> uh, bye for now. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Cal Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pekovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash foundlistenersurvey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.